Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Today, I am going to interview Atal. I'll have him introduce himself in a second, but I'm thrilled that you accepted my invite because I worked with you at your days at Vanguard as a leader. I got a chance to see all of the great things that you brought to that culture. And one of the things that I always thought was impressive is when I worked at Vanguard, I always said everyone that I met was just fantastic. There was something really unique and special about that that environment. So it made perfect sense to reach out to you and ask you if you'd be interested in coming on the show. So thank you so much, Atal. Thank you, Christine. And and I too really enjoyed working with you at Vanguard. And, and you certainly helped us quite a bit on, on the sales side in terms of building a, a terrific sales team. So thank you for that. It's great to be here. Thank you. My background is I'm a reformed lawyer, started my career as a corporate securities lawyer. And from there, went on to a number of different uh, business roles, uh, including starting the ETF business for Bank of Montreal. And then, as you pointed out, I was the CEO of Vanguard Canada, starting up uh, Vanguard here. So it's been it's been a lot of fun throughout uh, my career. And after Vanguard, I was thinking about what to do next. And I'm, I'm very passionate about fine wine. My wife is as well. She was the head of the fine wine department at uh, Richie's Auction House. And I always knew that fine wine investing was something that uh, was established in Europe and in Asia, but it hadn't really been done in North America. And so I built a business plan, reached out to the, the company that's the best in the world at doing this called Cult Wines. And we set up a joint venture and from there in Canada and from there, I've now taken on the role of overseeing the U.S., Caribbean and Latin America as well. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun building a business. I'm only going to tell you, I'm just slightly jealous. So when I saw that you went into fine wine, first of all, I knew that about you as a passion. So that felt right on brand. <laughs> and and also, I just I'm only slightly jealous because it's got to be a delicious job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well said. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, somebody had said to me that if you can make your passion your occupation, you'll never work another day in your life. And I, I really feel that way. It's, uh, it, it's just wonderful kind of marrying your interests of, in my case, fine wine and asset management. Amazing. We're going to dive in. Tell us about the best boss that you ever had, or even if there were a few, do share with us a little bit about what your experience has been. There's definitely been a few, and uh, I've been fortunate uh, through my career to have some wonderful bosses, and by the way, some not so wonderful bosses, which I think we'll get to as well. But absolutely, you know, the, the best part I think of having experienced a, a number of different styles and leaders is you can learn from them and you can sort of select what you're going to become as a leader. I think early in my career, I was fortunate because. I had a boss who really took a lot of time with me to to teach me. You know, we would spend literally hours in his office with him imparting his knowledge uh, about the investment industry to me. So as a lawyer, 
it was important because I learned a lot more about the business, which makes you a better lawyer if you understand what your clients are experiencing and doing day to day. So absolutely, I would say mentorship and sharing knowledge. Those are traits, I think, of, uh, of great leaders and, and great bosses. My best boss ever, I would say, sort of embodies all of that. And he was a very senior leader at BMO Nesbitt Burns, Bank of Montreal. He just was an incredible and is an incredible human being, just very kind, very experienced, always had your back. No matter what, what happened, he was, he was in your corner and you knew that. So you could take some risks knowing that, uh, that he was going to stand by you sort of thing. And he was known around the company as, as a leader that everybody wanted to work for. And so I always felt fortunate to be working for him and reporting to him. Uh, and, and people would always say, oh, you're so lucky. I wish I was working for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. He had that draw. So he had actually a magnetism where people were like, you're in a coveted position if you work for this boss. That's right. Absolutely. So can you give me some stories and examples, a little bit of what you remember from that time? The one that really stands out is when I moved from being a lawyer to taking on a, a management role, my first role was to head up the mutual fund division for Bank of Montreal in Chicago, Harris Bank. And so, you know, it was a big step for me just uh, transitioning into a role like that. And it was a bit of a uh, an interesting situation in that the previous head had been terminated for the independent board having lost confidence in him. So I was put in essentially as a, a turnaround situation. And Getting ready for my first meeting was interesting. I had prepared a lot and was ready to talk about how we're going to turn things around. And when we got into the meeting, my voice was shaking. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just thought, oh, goodness, because it, it was a pretty high profile, big meeting. And I, I pulled it together eventually, but obviously was nervous. And so after the meeting, I, I spoke to my boss and I said, sorry, you know, I, I I don't know what happened there at the beginning, but, uh, you know, I did turn, turn it around. And, you know, he said something that really just made me feel good, which was, you know what, that's all, you're passionate about this. And, you know, you're not going to go into a meeting being a robot. You know, you're a human being coming in and, and expressing yourself the way you did showed that you cared. And, you know, it was, it, that's just sort of what he was like. He, he always kind of found the good in anything and, and made you feel good. I, I like that because that's such a good example. I actually, it made me smile when you said that, because I remember meeting you for the first time and being nervous. And, you know, you, <laughs> and it's, it's funny because I do remember how disarming you are. You're, you know, you don't give off that impression of you should be nervous, right? Like, so all of a sudden, a few minutes into our conversation, it was like, okay, he doesn't, he doesn't need me to be nervous right now. <laughs> I just remember that. And in, in when we first met, because, you know, just because of that perception of status or that nervousness that that comes, right? So that's neat that you bring that now to how you lead, where it's like, you're a human, not a robot. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's no need to be different at work than you are in your day-to-day -day life, I think. Right. That's amazing. Any other things that you can think of that, you know, as you were working for this leader, I think that's a great example. Other things that come to mind. Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, I learned a lot from him about developing people and 
to me, again, as a, as a great leader, that is uh, not just something you do. I think it's an obligation. And so he, he was known for having developed a number of great leaders around uh, BMO. And so I think that is something that I took with me as well throughout the rest of my career, which was, you know, you really need to take an interest in, in the people that work with you, you know, help coach develop. Those are important things. And so I think that was another element that, that has you know, influenced me, I think, over time. The other part of it is just inclusiveness. And I think he was inclusive before it was trendy, <laughs> you know, to be <laughs> right. inclusive. He's, uh, you know, a, a white male who's uh, had a, a terrific career in life. But, you know, he, he was very open in terms of the people that were around his table from a management standpoint. And for me personally, I benefited from him bringing me into settings and surroundings that I wouldn't naturally be in. And so when I talk about my passion for fine wine, it was Barry was a member of a nice golf club. You know, he himself is, is very, very passionate about wine and very knowledgeable. So not just working for him or with him, but also just how he included me in certain events with his uh, wine group, for example, where he got to experience some, some fine wines that, you know, I had never experienced before. And quite frankly, as, as, you know, a person of color, often I would be the only person of color <laughs> at, at those events. But, uh, you know, that's something that I definitely also think I took from him, which was, you know, when you have the ability to include people in things that they naturally may not have been part of, and to help either educate them around it, or if they're interested, you know, coax their interests. That's great. That's important. And that's so interesting, because I didn't even think of that until you just said it. But that feeling of, you know, being included at a time when you didn't, you know, like you said, it probably wasn't trendy yet, right? So <laughs> there, you might not have always went to environments and felt as included. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, to have somebody as a mentor who brings you along in those uh, types of environments is important. I mean, and and that's, uh, you know, that's something I think all leaders should pay attention to. I think we've talked about this before as well, which is, you know, whether you're a person of color or a female, you know, your, your mentor or the people that uh, you work for or with, it's important that they include you in those social settings, like outside of work, because that's, you know, let's face it, that's where a lot of uh, discussions happen and other leaders get to know you better and then will naturally promote you along the way, right? Very something interesting about what you just shared as well. So, you know, the making connections in a social setting or in a social way, right? Like building friendships. I just remember distinctly when we were working on some of the cultural pieces, one of the things that scored really well on the, the team that, that we both worked with was that the engagement question, I have a best friend at work. And that one scored incredibly high. And I remember thinking how interesting that was just given the fact that the culture felt so unique and different. So it's, again, very interesting to me to hear that correlation or that tie back to the fact that somebody made you feel like a friend, right, versus just a, a colleague. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's that's a good feeling. And and quite frankly, 
you work harder for somebody like that because you feel like you're invested in the business and clients and and success, not just for yourself, but also for your team and for your leader. I think that's uh, that's huge. So then tell me a little bit about your experiences of the not so great bosses. Like what did they do that that left a mark and shaped the way you think about leadership? Well, it's almost the opposite of everything I just said. <laughs> and uh, one boss in particular, and I won't say the name, was somebody who no matter what you did would make you feel like you did something wrong. <laughs> and even, uh, you know, even if it was right, you squirmed because you thought, oh boy, you know, he's going to come at me with this or that. And you never felt like you were on the same side. It, it really felt like you were being grilled for a reason. And, you know, in particular, one of my colleagues made a call and, and actually made the wrong call. And he called the entire department in and berated her for having made the call she made. And there was an economic impact due to the call that she made. And, and basically, he said, you're going to be paying that back. And, you know, she was more of a junior person. And so those of us who were maybe a little more senior kind of stepped in and said, come on, that's, you know, that's, that's not right. Uh, we're a team, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that would happen. And it was, it was a, it was essentially a toxic environment and you could hear him sometimes, you know, with the door closed, basically yelling at some of your colleagues and it was not a good environment at all. So I would say, you know, that's sort of the exact opposite, which is rather than always feeling like, your your boss has your back. In that case, it was, you know, you were scared. You walked around on eggshells. Like you said, it's almost the opposite. You're waiting for your boss to stab you in the back. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> right? The look over your shoulder at all times. The hard part for somebody who has a boss who's insecure is that sometimes, you know, your boss, because they're insecure and maybe don't feel confident in their position, they want more control. And so that's a difficult situation because they do like to control information. So I had a boss, you know, she she was very much that way. And previous to that boss, you, you know, had a lot of interaction with very senior people. But then when that boss came in, she said, okay, anything you send by email or otherwise to these senior people, you got to put it through me first, right? And then you kind of get the sense that obviously she's controlling the message, right? And I I, I don't think that's a, a good approach. I think no matter who you are in an organization, the channels of communication should be open. It shouldn't be filtered, you know, and as a leader, you want that. You want to hear from people, whether it's a, a good thing or a not a good thing, because you know, obviously if it's not a good thing, you can work on making that better. But if you don't hear that, you won't know. I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people listening to that and they can resonate with that. So the controlling of information is a very interesting one because it doesn't look as obvious as yelling at somebody or berating somebody. It's a much more, like you said, it's driven from insecurity and it's very subtle because it doesn't feel as obvious and as wrong as the example you gave earlier, right? But in the same breath, I see that and a lot of people, they feel that, right? They feel not trusted. They don't feel valued. They don't feel brought in as the team. So with the controlling of information really does kind of like break down a team, but it's so much more subtle because it doesn't feel 
you know, it doesn't feel as obvious. That's right. And it's, it's not an open environment. And I, I think you need to sort of foster an open environment where people feel like they can, you know, express their opinions in, in a constructive way. Oh, I think that's great. So, you know, one of the questions that I always love to ask leaders, so obviously in my business, I'm an added expense, right? As I work on the culture and I work on the people and the development of leaders. And so I always try to understand, I get this question, what's the return on investment, right? And so what do you think the impact is to the bottom line when you're working for a best boss ever, or you're working for somebody who really is aspiring to operate at that level? Yeah, well, look, I've never thought of you as an added expense. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you 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 pay for your um, your your services and and uh, help by you know building much better sales teams, right? And and obviously that does go to the bottom line. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to say, Christine. I mean, you know, there's a lot of intangibles there, right? And and it's hard to actually point to a bottom line impact of great leadership. I mean, I think I, I think all of the things we've talked about just sort of make for a better environment for for people to you know w- work as a team to build a better business and service clients better, and ultimately that translates to bottom line. I think um, so. I, I'm not sure there's a direct. You can't just sort of measure it. It's just something I think that. We know it's it's an intuitive thing. Well, now I can say that another really smart person also said the same thing because that's I run into a similar answer where I'm always like, it's intangible, but it's felt. And so even though we'll never be able to do a split and say, okay, here's what the business numbers would be without great leaders and here's the business numbers with great leaders, we're never going to be able to really have those two scenarios side by side. But what I do know is just what you said when you build an environment that helps people for perform at a much higher rate, the impact is there. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can almost make an analogy to marketing, right? Which is, it's a constant tension between what do you spend to build your brand versus what you spend to acquire clients, right? And there's no right answer to that. It's, it's just, you know that you have to spend something to build your brand. It's intangible. You don't know what that return is, but you know you have to do it. It's felt. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when it's not there, <laughs> when there's a vacuum of it, it's very noticeable too, you know? So it's interesting when you mention this, because it's, it's always this, uh, I, I feel like one day we're going to be able to analyze or understand the numbers, but it's very tricky to actually put exact dollars to these things. Right. Yes. Yep. That's great. So if you were going to teach or advise future leaders, the best part is, is that all kinds of people that I work with today listen to this show for different ideas and insights to be a better leader. So if you were going to teach or advise them, what would be some words of wisdom or things that you would ask them to think about as we wrap this show up? I actually had somebody tell me early in my career that it's important to listen. Uh, that kind of always stuck with me. And so I think active listening is an important skill set. Not everybody has it. I think it kind of goes hand in hand with taking an interest in the people that you work with and understanding their motivations, understanding what drives them in life, you know, what makes them happy, what makes them unhappy. And so I think that is an important trait to, to develop, you know, your active listening skills. Sort of beyond that, I, I guess, you know, the other part of it 
that maybe goes with that is is the empathy, right? We we all know that there are tough decisions that have to be made in business from time to time, but you know you, you can always do things um, in an empathetic way. And I think as we started the conversation, you know, you have to remember, look, we're all human beings. We're all people with feelings. And I think it's important to respect those. And I think, you know, both of those sound, both of those pieces of wisdom you just shared, they sound easy at first glance, but they're quite powerful when implemented. That's kind of what I would say, because, you know, listening is such an interesting one. People perceive silence is equating to listening. It's definitely not. Yeah. There's absolutely. a quality, right? <laughs> and look, we've all been in meetings where we've had the people who come in and talk the loudest and the longest and uh, kind of like hearing the sound of their voice. But I, I think uh, there's there's power in listening. Absolutely. And then that piece around empathy too, which, you know, I think it gets lost quickly when, especially, and I mean, you're in businesses where numbers matter, right? And so you're always looking at numbers and, you know, financials and, you know, dollars and cents. So it's trying to be able to balance the fact that the numbers are not the only story. That's right. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you so much for giving me this time. Do you have anything else that you want to share today just as people are listening? No, I, I think we uh, we covered a lot of issues in a short period of time, Christine. So once again, just thank you for, for having me. And, and it's been a fun discussion. And hopefully some of the, the people who listen to this may, may pick up something <laughs> from on what we've been talking about. And, and that's part of the giving back and, and sharing your experiences. Amazing. And then they should go find you on LinkedIn as the CEO <laughs> of Cult Wines. Absolutely. So they can, yeah. If they want to find out more about investing in top end wine, they should come follow you, right? That's uh, It's the place to come for sure. <laughs> Amazing. Thank Great. you so much. Thank you, Christine. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. 